Hey y'all, I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 260. Girl, can you just give me the Cliff Notes version of all this shiz going down on social media with uh, that boy gonna spill the tea on the other boy? <laughs> Dakota on Zach. Dakota? Oh, Nick. Okay, 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 okay. So Dakota is another person who had worked with Zach and stuff, but now he has his own paranormal show. And he's the first person who kind of said, like, we're we're fine, whatevs, but Zach doesn't support my show kind of thing. He might not have said it needs to be canceled, but he sure wasn't fighting for it to not be canceled yeah. and stuff like that. After they have been friends. But Nick used to be on Ghost Adventures. Like, he was one of the originals. And then he's went off and done his other stuff. But after Dakota had said something, he was like, yeah, I'll tell y'all everything. I'm, I'm about to just answer any question honestly. But then other people now are coming out and talking about Zach Bagans and all this shit with that. So, I don't know. It's like, it's the tea. And it's about to be spilled everywhere but like when like you're gonna do a live and answer questions you're gonna just make a video like do we submit questions nick like what are you gonna do to spill the tea yeah people are asking questions and he's gonna answer i don't know if he's doing a live or what but you know like is he just like collecting like okay uh susan from nebraska wants to know is he full of bullshit (laughs) i feel like that's what it's gonna be I mean, don't do shady shit and don't be a bad human if you don't want it to come out. I'm not sure what he's done or whatever, but like, if you're a douche canoe, it's going to come out sooner or later. I mean, everybody's done something that's douchey. Oh, for sure. But you try to be better. And if you're not trying to be better, then that's when people are going to come after you. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of telling when a lot of the paranormal people will do things on other people's shows, but a lot of people don't do a lot on his. Like, it's celebrities and stuff but it's like a one-off thing yeah i don't know but i heard that ghost brothers might be canceled and i am so mad about that because i love them that's literally the only paranormal show that i would like to watch yeah and portals to hell and i love portals to hell that's the one with uh uh, jack osborne Uh okay that one's decent too i just like jack osborne but um and the girl what's her name katrina yeah i like her too i feel like they just approach it in a better way than most I just like the Ghost Bros humor. Yes. But also like anything that tries to debunk it. Like, if the, you know what I mean? Anything that's not just like going in blindly believing and is like, no, I'm trying to debunk it because that's how I think I'm more for that. When we were on our cruise, because, you know, I don't watch paranormal shows. And when we got together, Colby loved them. But I was uh-huh. like, I get enough paranormal on the podcast. You're going to have to watch that shit without me. But, you know, on the cruise, you get all of three channels. Uh-huh. And one of them had, like, a Dybbuk douche marathon on. <laughs> and we sleep with the TV on. So, um, I was forced to watch. <laughs> Colby was in heaven. I was not. Aw. Man, me and Tiffany used to watch the best movies on the cruise. Mm-mm. Not anymore. Probably because everything's in streaming now. They were playing, like, old movies, too. Not, like, old, like, black and white. But older, like... 500 Days of Summer, is that what it's called? 500 Nights Golly, of Summer. Golly, yeah. Yeah. Well, news with me. I'm back on Tinder. It was a FOMO thing because Tiff is on there and Ashlyn, and I was like, damn it. How's it going? I mean, I know how it's going, but tell our friends. It's going. There's been ups, downs. I haven't hit rock bottom yet. The dude that accidentally sent you the screenshot of his background being another girl, that was epic. But at least I knew. I was like, he feels like a love bomber. 
something's off. And Carrie's like, "Uh uh-huh. What's your gut saying? I was like, I don't know. It's being real iffy. And that's why. But from Tinder, I have met a guy named Brad. Shout out, Brad. He's cool as fuck. But I met a listener. Mm -hmm. And so now we're friends. So shout out, Sydney. So me, I go on Tinder and I make friends. That's it. She's not lying. (laughs) No connections, just friends. And she's just trying to get a nut, so what's up? I mean, I <laughs> Well, that's why I'm still on Tinder. Mm-hmm. I haven't got off yet because I haven't got off yet. <laughs> please tell them what you say on your thing. Did you tell me <laughs> My to? My bio? Yes, please tell them what you say. <laughs> I'm looking for someone who will make both sets of cheeks heard. You know, smile and a spank. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That really does sum up your personality. I mean, that's what I want. Friends with benefits. I want someone I can hang out with and someone I can explore sexually with. But seriously, so I matched with this guy named Brad. I got his Snapchat because that's what you do on Tinder. And you know, Snapchat's where you send the pics, you do all the things. Uh, Me and him talked about ghost. (laughs) That's when you knew we were going to be friends. Like we talked about ghost. He made the upward cheeks burn or hot or fire or hurt, hurt. I'm just saying, he can make both sets hurt, honestly. So if you see me on Tinder, hit me up. (laughs) Even if you want to be friends. Y'all, I am so proud of myself, well, and Colby too, because we're trying to save money. And our biggest downfall is that we eat out all the time. I hate cooking. I don't think he hates it. He just doesn't like to do it. But like, I hate doing it. I really hate cleaning up after. Like, it's just the bane of my existence. Like, if I could be one of those people that just ate out all the time and, you know, it not make me go broke, I'd be golden. But it makes me go broke. Okay, so we went to Sam's, saw this on TikTok, and you get the big 10-pound thing of hamburger meat. Okay, excuse me. Ground beef. Apparently, in the South, we say hamburger meat, but everybody else doesn't say that. Uh, Ground beef. Okay, yeah. Let me clarify, because everybody's like, hamburger meat. And then I portioned out, like, I have a scale at home, and so I I weighed it out and put it in Ziploc bags, and then you flatten it really thin and then freeze it, and so then it thaws really quickly. Oh, well, that's smart. Right. And that whole 10-pound thing costs, like, round up $33. It literally saved us a dollar a pound. Shit. And it's going in the freezer, so it's not going bad because that's our other downfall. Yes. Is when we do buy groceries, it goes bad. So for two whole weeks, working weeks, we ate out on the weekend, but two whole working weeks, I have taken my lunch every single day to work and we've not eaten out. That's a fucking record. That is. That's awesome. Just for shits and giggles, I was calculating up how much we had saved. And I was like, holy fuck. Because you go out to eat as a couple now, no less than 50 bucks. Yeah. And my damn cafeteria at work has gotten so expensive. The other day, because I made um, nachos and we didn't have enough cheese for me to take to work. So I just went and got some cheese off the salad bar at work. Guess how much I paid for it? Two dollars. Two thirty-six. <laughs> you know how much a whole pack of cheese at Walmart is? Two twenty-two. Two something, yeah. <laughs> Two twenty-two. The Walmart brand. Because that's what we get. I was like, motherfuck. So that is the thing. I did buy that one day. Yeah. <laughs> Being an adult is hard, though. Going to get grocery... And I'm doing fucking grocery pickup from Walmart for most of it. (laughs) I mean, I'm going into Sam's because you never know. They might have some really cute leggings. Okay, you get the groceries, and then you have to bring them home, and then you have to unload them, Uh and then you still have to cook. It's so stupid. That's why I'm the person that goes to get the Walmart pickup and then goes to get fast food. Yes, that's usually what I do. And then (laughs) I let my groceries go bad. 
Yes. Which is why I'm broke as fuck. You know, and the cruise too. That's part of why I'm broke. Because um, <laughs> we underestimated how much we were going to like tip and stuff. And, uh-huh. you know, yeah. get things while you're on an island or whatever, you know. Yeah. But I don't know whose idea it was. This whole like work all day and then come home and you still got to like cook and clean and do shit. And we don't even have kids. Right. Golden Girls fucked me because I really think I have chronic fatigue syndrome. <laughs> I'm like, Dorothy, me too. (laughs) I'm tired all the time too. And sometimes it does feel like I have the flu. (laughs) My body hurts. Could be because I'm an extra large pizza. Could be because I stand up all day. Could be because I don't drink enough water. (laughs) Could be because I have chronic fatigue syndrome. Don't know. All of the above. Colby called me a hypochondriac the other day, speaking of. I mean... Donna? He's not wrong. We both are. No, I'm not a hypochondriac. I'm just a complainer. No, you are, though, because you'll be like, oh, my head hurts. I hope I don't have a brain tumor. The worst always happens, and so I just, like, prepare for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm not like, oh, I'm so sick. I mean, other than thinking I have chronic fatigue syndrome, but, like... (laughs) I'm not. You are, but it's because we know enough to make ourselves scared. I almost died from food poisoning. I would just like to point that out. I had to get a fucking pick line for food poisoning. So, like, me jumping to the worst case scenario <laughs> is reasonable. I know. That's I mean, I'm it's saying. trauma, but it's reasonable. I know. But you can still be a hypochondriac. <sighs> I'm not a hypochondriac. I'm just a complainer. You are also that, too. Well, I may be tired all the time, but you know what's helping with that tiredness? Coffee. Yeah, that. But I don't need as much because I've been sleeping on Etitude's clean bamboo sheets. And let me just say, very luxurious. You know when you go to a hotel and everything feels so fancy and you're just like, God, I wish I could have this at home. Those are these sheets. Etitude has a right attitude about sleep because it is bamboo. You know we love bamboo. We've talked about that so much. It's so soft. But also my skin is very sensitive. It's great. And if you sleep hot, this is cool. But the sheets aren't something that's going to make you cold. It's the best of both worlds. Etitude sheets are luxurious, like I said, soft, I mean like smooth as silk, but more breathable than cotton. And better yet, especially for Donna, hypoallergenic. Etitude's bedding is made from the world's first non-toxic bamboo fabric. You can rest easy knowing that there's no harmful chemicals and better for you and the planet. And of course, they got cute colors. Oh my God, so many colors to choose from, all different sizes. And I really think that I'm going through early menopause because I've been sweating at night. And like Donna was talking about, it really helps you with your temperature regulation. You know how we were talking about Etitude's bedding and how it's got less chemicals, all of that, very eco-friendly. So the sheets use 99% less water than cotton. That is over 500,000 bottles of water saved. So you can use sustainable products and still have that buttery, smooth feel of the fabric. Right now, Etitude is offering our listeners $25 off their first bedding order with code CREEP. So what you're going to do, you're going to go to Etitude.com slash CREEP and pick your bedding size, pick your color, pick all the things you want, and you're going to get $25 off your first order. That is E-T-T-I-T-U-D-E dot com slash CREEP. And you know, one thing that we love is a money back guarantee. And so you can try them for 30 nights risk-free and return them, no questions asked. And you don't have to worry because none of their returns ever go to waste. 
Each sheet, pillowcase, and everything in between is given a second life through their Take Back and Donations program. So don't forget, attitude.com slash creep for $25 off your first order. So some of y'all listen to us in bed already. Why not just be, you know, sleeping in the same sheets that we're sleeping in while listening to us? Well, you know what time it is. It is time to talk about how much we love Care Of. Carrie and I use them on the daily. Well, remember how I was talking about being tired when I don't take my vitamins? Woo! I'm like a zombie. <laughs> so Care Of is a subscription service that ships high quality vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door, but better yet, they're personalized just for you and tailored to your health goals. So what you do, you go online, take a short but in-depth quiz about your lifestyle, like Donna said, your health goals, and you're going to get a personalized, doctor-backed recommendation that's going to take the guesswork out of what supplements are best suited for you. Because what are your goals? Are you tired? Are you foggy-brained? Are you wanting better skin? Are you wanting to just overall be more healthy? What are your goals? That's the things that you're going to fill out, and Care Of is going to get you that doctor-backed list of what the recommendations are for you. Also, I don't think foggy-brained is the technical term. Well, what is it? You experience brain fog. Uh, But we've all been there. We've all been to the pharmacy. We've all been looking at those shelves, and it's like one after another with every single letter of the alphabet with the numbers behind them, and you're like, what the heck do each one of these things do, and which ones do I need? I don't know. Do you know? Definitely don't. Well, Care Of does, and because you take the quiz, they're going to know exactly what you need. And like we've talked about, they're so convenient for travel because they come in individual daily packs. So you can be like me, take that at night and just zoop, a pack out, you know, it's got your name on it so you know whose it is. Or you could be like Donna and you could empty it into your pill minder. That's not what that thing's called. It is what it's called. And that's still convenient for me because I take it all together then with all my other pills. Yeah, that's not the only thing you take all in. So seriously, if you are tired of going to the pharmacy, tired of being overwhelmed by all of those choices, Care Of is the subscription solution for you. It gets delivered to you every single month. And of course, you could cancel at any time. But it's like, oh, you're about to be out of your packets. Here's some more. So get up on this packet train and go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code CREEP50 for 50% off your first Care Of order. That's TakeCareOf.com and enter code CREEP50. T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-O-F.com and enter code CREEP50. Real quick though, we gotta do Patreoners. Thank you so much, Valeria B. from Florida. Christina C. from Virginia. Michaela K. from Texas. Sidebar, I used to work with Michael Esso. Hey, girl, hey. And Makia R. And we don't know where you're from because you didn't give us your address. So if you want stickers and all of that, please let us know your address. And if you want an episode shout out and all the shiz that Donna just said, stickers, extra episode a week, bloopers, all the things, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Okay, so March is Women's History Month, so I thought, "Mm, why not highlight a female ghost? But not just any old ghost, but the ghost who's known as America's first ghost. I'm going to talk about Nellie Butler, and I for sure thought I had covered this before because it's America's first documented ghost. But like, seriously, I looked everywhere. I looked in all the places I could think of. I even looked in Karen's episode guide. I could not find anything, so I'm about to tell y'all about Nellie. 
Okay, so you know how towns can like change over time? Like it can be incorporated and change names or all that historical mumbo jumbo? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's what happened with this story because, hello, it's old as fuck. But some say it took place in Franklin, Maine. Others say it was actually known as Sullivan, Maine. But it also deals with two families. So maybe one of them actually lived in Sullivan and the other lived in Franklin. I'm already not getting all the facts straight, so there we go. What are you, me? (laughs) So there isn't a whole lot that we know about... So there isn't a whole lot that we know about Nellie Butler, but we do know that she was born in 1776, and her birth name was Eleanor Hooper, but she went by Nellie. We also know that she met this handsome sea captain when she was 19. His name was George Butler. Now, his family was pretty well-to-do. Like, his dad was Moses Butler and had fought in the American Revolution and was one of the first settlers in that area. Nellie was smitten with George right off the bat, and Nellie was beautiful, and so George was head over heels, too. They got married shortly after, and not too long after being married, they found out that Nellie was expecting, and so they started planning for the baby to arrive. But we know back in the day, childbirth was hard as fuck, and many didn't survive. And sadly, this was the fate of both the baby and Nellie. I mean, it's still hard, but, you know, modern medicine. Right, exactly. The baby passed away soon after being born, and Nellie passed the day after. George had lost so much so fast. He was grieving so hard over the what-ifs and what he had pictured his future looking like. But we're going to put a pin in that for a second and zoom a few years later to August 1799. Enter a new character and the plot definitely thickens. Her name is Lydia Blaisdell. She's 15 years old and the daughter of Abner and Mary Blaisdell. And the family was very, very religious. Like Lydia's idea of a good time was picking wool with her siblings. Like, picking stuff out of the wool so they can make their clothes and shit. What? So, you know her other shit was, like, total, like, read the Bible 25 times and tell me your favorite hymn. Like, if picking wool is your idea of a fun time, come on. But in 1799, Lydia unfortunately got sick and she was bedridden. And as she laid in bed, she believed that she heard some sort of knocking coming from the basement cellar area. Now, no one believed Lydia because, you know, she was really sick and they were like, she's just seeing stuff because of fever or whatever. But now remember, they are all very religious. So Abner, the dad, he was like, let's pray. Let's make sure these sounds are not of the devil. Because even though they couldn't hear them, they knew Lydia was sick. And so maybe she was almost like between this life and the next. So they didn't want her soul to be tainted or whatever. But the knocking continued and soon developed into more. Also, soon the entire family started being able to hear the knocking too. But that evolved into there was a knock or a few knocks. And then there was a woman's voice coming from the cellar area. And for a while, they could barely make out that the voice was actually coming from the cellar. And when they went down there, no one was down there. But they really couldn't understand what was being said or anything. 
But over time, they were able to understand the voice. And the first message they could make out was that the voice said they were born Nellie Hooper and she was the dead wife of Captain George Butler. Now, that seems oddly specific to be like, I'm the dead wife of Captain George Butler, because it's not like they knew George and his family and all the personal shit, right? Well, seems the ghost of Nellie knew something no one else did. Lydia and George had been kind of talking, like not dating, nothing physical, but there was definitely something there more than just like the pleasantries in public, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So now Lydia is like, oh shit, she knows. And Abner, the dad, is like, the fuck are you talking about? Because my sweet little 15-year-old daughter, Lydia, and this guy, George, who was 29 at the time, like, there ain't no way not know how. That's disgusting. And I will say, like, I was like, huh, that's kind of odd. Because, you know, back in the day, everyone married young and shit. But maybe Maine was just very progressive, but also it could have been different when it's your daughter. You know, yeah, I married this person young, but like, you're my daughter and you're not doing that. And you know how you say you always think of that scene in Ghost where Patrick Swayze's character is like learning to touch and move objects and shit? Okay, so we have to think about Nellie's first haunting. It was knocking. And then she learned to use her voice. But soon she appeared to them. And the first time it was in their field. And Lydia's younger brother, Paul, saw Nellie. But he saw like this lady in white, like in the field, kind of floating towards him. And he's like, who the fuck is this? I mean, he's a kid. So he's just like, what? He was probably like, who the fuck it? Go thou there. (laughs) Exactly. So really, he ignored her and ran away. Well, Nellie did not like this one bit. And she was like, if they don't want to talk to me, I'll find a way to force them to. And she was actually gone for about two months. Like they had no knocking, no voices, no apparitions, anything. But Nellie showed back up and basically went off on the family. Kind of like called them down to the cellar. They all were there and singled Paul out and was like, it was rude not to talk to me. I was trying to visit you, like, learn some manners. Which I feel like would be me as a ghost, like, get my feelings hurt if someone was scared or didn't want to talk to me and I was trying to communicate with them. Definitely. And then leave them for two months and then come back and then be raring to go. Because you didn't get your closure? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I feel for Nellie. I get it. But now that Nellie was back, she was like, let's get down to business. Okay, I was going to say, guess who's back? We are totally opposite. It's what makes us work. Look, on Patreon, we really talked about how opposite we were, and people were split, too. More people were on my side, but I digress. So if you want to learn way too much about us, get over to Patreon, like we've said many times before. But so she was like, look, I'm Georgia's dead wife, and I have come back because it was basically her duty to play matchmaker, and that Lydia and George should be married. Not the direction I thought that was going in. Right. You know, this was like, wait, what? And she's like, they have a connection and maybe it's, you know, something only they know about, but I know too. And she was like, if you don't believe I am who I say I am, go get my father, go get George. I will prove to you that I am Nellie Butler. And basically I got to get this shit to work before I can have everlasting peace or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know that I could do that as a ghost. 
I don't know that I could like set my husband. I could. I don't know if I could set Colby up. Well, you're a very jealous person. One thousand <laughs> and a selfish person. One thousand. Really? Okay, about food and Colby, but for sure about food. Very selfish. Yeah. So the Blaisdell family does go to Moses' house, George's dad, and they tell him that. George and Lydia need to wed. And Moses did not want to believe that that relationship was even happening because he's like, she's 15. And like, George is such an eligible bachelor. Like he could, you know, marry into more money kind of thing. I'm Mm -hmm. sure that's what he was thinking. And Abner was like, yeah, I don't want this either. But it seems to be like ordained by God or something because he has sent Nellie back to get these two together. But Moses was like, leave me alone and fuck off. So they left and went to David Hooper's house. And that's Nellie's dad. And they were like, okay, this is going to be weird to say, but your daughter's ghost is in our basement cellar area. And she's claiming that Lydia's destiny is to marry George. And we just kind of like want to fact check that this is Nellie. And so we know it's ordained by God. And David agreed to visit their home. While they're talking to David at his home, Moses is kind of like, well, why would Abner travel all this way in a snowstorm? Because that's what was going on to tell me like some prank or something. And he doesn't want it either because his daughter's 15, you know, like eh, maybe it's true. So he's over there scratching his head. They're getting David to come home with them. And they also went to George's house and was like, look, um, Your dead wife, Nellie, is in our cellar and saying stuff about you and Lydia. And we need you to come to our house, confirm it's Nellie, and also confirm what's going on. David was shocked when he heard Nellie's voice. And he was like, it has to be her. That is my daughter. That's her exact voice. And George said at first he only heard that disembodied voice in the cellar. And he asked who it was. And he heard this reply. I was once your wife. And then the voice asked, do you not remember what I told you when I was alive? And George was basically like, the list is kind of long. So could you you be a little more specific? Refresh my memory. And the voice said, do you not remember what I told you? I did not think I should live long with you. I told you that if you were to leave me, I should never wish to change my condition. But if I was to leave you, I could not blame you if you did. So basically, get remarried. I can't do it, but like, I understand if you can. And George said after this, he realized that was a conversation that those two people only had. No one else knew about that. And so he, in fact, believed it was Nellie. And when he fully believed, he was shown a white glowing figure. He said it was like a person in a winding sheet. And in her arm, there was a small child. Also, I try to think, like, what would I say to Colby to be like, what's that thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. I got nothing. I mean, you just have to say watermelon tastes like static. And he'd be like, yep, that's her. Yeah, but, like, so many people know that, though. George reached his hand out to touch, but it just went through the figure and he couldn't feel anything. Now, Nellie wasn't just confirming herself to be real with like her peeps. She also told Abner that his father had been sick. And Abner's like, yeah, I know. He was like, but I mean, continue, (laughs) like keep going. Yeah. But what about it? Right. And Nellie said that his father was now in heaven praising God with the angels. 
And Abner was like, saying isn't so because he's alive and well. I mean, not well, but he's he's still kicking. But he did confirm with some friends who lived near his dad. He was like 200 miles away from him that his father had passed seven days before and word hadn't gotten to him yet. (gasps) So now Abner's like, okay, like she's legit sent from heaven. Like she knows all this stuff. So the wedding has to happen. So now everyone's on board because Moses was like, you know what? You're right. This has to happen because again, he's like, they came to me in a snowstorm. You know, they're not real keen on this either, but okay, this ghost says it should be. And so, so shall it or whatever. So it shall, whatevs. So then Lydia was like, look, I don't want to be married. I don't want to be married. Like, yeah, that was what I was just thinking. I was like, meanwhile, what if they don't want to be married to each other? Right. But she was like, but if it's God's will, I'm going to do it. And so everyone was like, Nellie is here to carry out God's will, and we're going to be a part of it. And so George and Lydia were married. But you know how I said, like, Nellie knew shit? There was something else that she knew. And she told George, she was like, treat your new wife with the utmost respect. Like, baby her, give her everything, because she's not going to live with you long. She then, a little bit later, told Lydia that she would have the same fate as she did. She would become pregnant and pass during or after childbirth. And right on cue, Lydia was pregnant, child was born, and Lydia died soon after, like during childbirth. I'm getting ahead of myself. I just want you to know, like that was said, they were married. But while Nellie is appearing and all of that, the rumor mill was working overtime in the small town. So people wanted to go to the cellar area and see if they could talk or see the ghost or the specter, as they called it. And Nellie would knock on walls and like, that's how she would get people ready for her presence. Like she would knock on the walls and be like, I'm here, bitches, knock, knock, knock. Aren't you glad I didn't say bananas or whatever? (laughs) And then she would talk so she wouldn't scare people, okay? There were several people who did see her, talk to her, but then there were others that were like, yeah, didn't experience anything. But like people from all over were going to the Blaisdell's cellar to see if they could have this experience. And no, I don't know if they were charging for this, but I don't think they were because they really thought like, Nellie was sent by God. It's a holy thing and all the things. Also, Abner asked Nellie why she would only appear in their cellar. And she was like, I don't want to scare any more children because how she scared Paul being in the field. So she's like, so only the people who are not going to be scared by me can come down here. Again, it just seemed that she was being thoughtful. And so because it was like kind of weird. Why are you only in our cellar? But then it was kind of like, well, they have to come to me. They also have to believe to come to me and stuff. And then I'm going to show them, you know, all the things. Playing hard to get. There was a naysayer who was related to Nellie. And that was Sally, her sister. Sally was like, they're using my deceased sister in some kind of way to make a name for themselves. And I'm not about it. She was like, if that's true. And Nellie was appearing in the cellar area. It had to be the work of the devil then. And Nellie was kind of blunt when she was asked questions and someone asked her if Sally was a good Christian and Nellie said, she thinks she is. She thinks she is. Damn. Right? But Sally wasn't the only one who wasn't sure that Nellie was real. There were quite a few people who believed that it was all Lydia's 
doing because she was into witchcraft and had made a deal with the devil for her health. Because remember, she was like bedridden on her deathbed and then she just kind of like recovered and was great. So they were like, yeah, the devil preyed upon her, forced her in order to do this, you know, to reverse her health and all the things. But Sally did visit the Blaisdell cellar after she was in there and she did talk to Nellie. She was like, no, that's my sister. But she was like, she's not there by choice. That is like someone has brought her here by the work of the devil and it's all evil. But even though some thought it was the work of the devil or a demon, Nellie only spoke about God and how great and like wonderful powers he had and all of that. So it's kind of like people were like, it might be a demon. Let's not go by it. But then she was like, how great thou art. Mm -hmm. You know, like I can talk about God all I want and he's great and powerful and wonderful eyes. Nellie's mom, Joanna Hooper, also visited and she confirmed it was Nellie. They recounted a conversation that they had when Nellie was on her deathbed. And Joanna had asked her basically like, would you have changed and not had a child if you knew this was coming? Like if it was going to be the death of you? And Nellie basically was like, it's God's will. And who am I to change it? Like, because she was saying if it was her life or her child's, like she would still die in order for the child to live. Now, Joanna said that was only something that they had talked about. And so she's like, that's Nellie. And speaking about the baby, that was something else Nellie wanted to happen. She wanted George to exhume their baby's body and place it with her in her coffin. So they could be together forever. And he did fulfill that wish or order as well. But if they... But she was holding the baby. Okay, that's what I thought too. Because he said he saw her with the baby in her arms. Why would she need that if the baby was with her? But maybe the baby couldn't like grow with her. So fuck if I know. Okay, weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, sometime after Lydia's death, like we're back to Lydia had given birth and now she's passed away. George did get married again. And I mean, that woman had to be fucking brave because Mm -hmm. his first two gone within the first year of marriage. But they ended up having four children together. And as far as I can tell, lived happily ever after. Four kids. Good God. (laughs) Now, Nellie was only seen one other time. And that was by a man named Abram Cummings. Because it kind of seemed like once Lydia died, like she had like fulfilled that prophecy and everything. She kind of went away. But there was this one guy, Abraham Cummings. And he was like a traveling evangelist. So what I'm picturing is like the pop-up tent, like revival type. Mm -hmm. So he had heard about Nellie and he needed to see this for himself because he was a staunch believer. This was all fake. And he's like, my, like my flock or whatever, you know, isn't that what they call them? Like shepherds, like Mm -hmm. he's a shepherd to his flock or whatever. Yeah. Like, if they're believing all of this, like, they're not as strong in their faith as I believe them to be, all the things. So he's walking up to the Blaisdell's residence, and he saw a bright light that seemed to hover in the air, and then he saw a tiny figure, like the size of a toad. (laughs) 
of all the things you could have compared it to, a toad? That's what he compared it to. Okay. I was like. <laughs> I didn't pull that out of my ass. Really? <laughs> and he was like, oh, yeah, this ain't real at all. You know, like, okay, Thumbelina. But then the figure grew to full height and was right there in front of him. All I can think about is those, you know, like the grow your boyfriend things. And yes. Like the sponge things. And the dinosaurs. Did you ever grow dinosaurs? Uh-uh. Well, you just got incredibly excited Oh, about my that. God. I used to love that. We would put it in my mom's Tupperware. Like, it was like a aqua-colored Tupperware. But we'd put them in there and put the warm water and the... It would be like a dinosaur egg or something. And then it would, like, grow. Like, it was just fucking foam. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever invented that made a fucking killing. Because you know it costs like three cents to fabricate. Oh, 100%. But anyway, so she started out Thumbelina size and then grew to her size. And Abraham said that Nellie gave off such a radiant, bright light that like it was like mesmerizing. And he's like, oh, this isn't a human. Like she is ethereal. And from that moment on, Abraham was a believer. He interviewed different people who had been down in the cellar to see Nellie. And he like curated the collection of experiences in a pamphlet type thing called Immortality Proved by the Testimony of Sense. I mean, there was like 50 different people, you know, telling their stories. And it seemed like all of Nellie's work had been done. It's like she had, you know, carried out the prophecy, Lydia and George being married. And then this staunch non-believer is now a believer. And she never knocked, talked, or appeared to anyone ever again. Now, for me, I feel like it could have been Lydia and George. They were seeing each other anyway. And Lydia's like, okay, look, my dad, really religious. And it's going to take a little bit. But if we can talk about it being God's will, we can be together. He was like, okay, okay, okay. And they are doing all of this, but then it it gets bigger and becomes reality. And then she's like, oh shit, I have to marry him. It's not forbidden anymore. I don't want it. So it's not as fun. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, it is like, oh shit, I'm going to have to bear his child. And uh, his first wife died. I'm younger than she is, so my body probably can't handle it, so I'm going to fucking die. Great. You know, like, I feel like she could have been, like, I don't know. I just feel like it's something weird there, like that they were seeing each other secretly. I feel like you're just tricking people into letting y'all be in this relationship that everyone thinks is wrong. Because it is. Yes. And it kind of reminded me of, like, Abducted in Plain Sight, how he was like, like, we're chosen and we have to populate, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, she believed it because once she's a kid. And so maybe George is the one who said, my wife came to me and she said, we have to get married. She loves that we're together. And, you know, who knows? Lydia was fucking 15. So I don't know. I just feel like it was a lie and then it got too big of a lie. And oops. But then after Lydia died, you know, she really wasn't seen around until that staunch non-believer was coming. And then she showed herself And then she was gone again. True. But how did they fake it? I don't know. But I think like in that pamphlet, one of them was like, her light was so bright that I could see others in this dimly lit cellar. Because I mean, it's back in the day. It's not like they have fucking all the lights on. True. You know? And so if they had anything like a lantern that was glowing really fast and Lydia's behind the curtain, you know, being like, ooh. True. You know? I mean, if you say... Something's haunted, people are going to be like, oh, I want to go see the ghost. And then something like this happens and you're like, 
oh, fuck, that was a ghost. Yeah. I want it to be true. However, I just feel like this was really fabricated. Well, like, what did she tell them about the afterlife? You know? Yeah, I don't know. It was a lot of angels and heaven and singing. She would break into song and all of that. And, you know, it's hard because how you were saying, like, how doth thou, blah, blah, blah. That's how they spoke. And so some of that, I'm just like, yeah, I, I like, need an urban dictionary for this, please. But I really did not know that that was the first documented ghost story. Well, I mean, you know I didn't know. Because <laughs> I feel like I've said that before. Like, oh, this was the first whatever. But everything I could find said this was the first documented ghost story. Because even if you think about like the Bell Witch and stuff, I thought that was like among the first, but uh, who knows? But why, I wonder? Why, you know, like, why is that the first? Because that's not that long ago. You know, it's not like it was like 47 AD. Right. But technically, you know, people be showing up in like burning bushes and shit in the Bible. So. Yeah. Well, I guess that was technically God, but you get the point. (laughs) Yeah. So. Maybe it's just, like, this is the first time it was... I I have no idea. I have no idea. It's like a roadside attraction, like the biggest ball of yarn. They say it's so, so I'm going to believe it, that it's the first. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's so funny, though, that you are a little more um, non-believer in this story than I am. Like, like I don't believe it, but you're a little more, like, vocal about your lack of belief. Yeah, well, I think it's because the matchmaker part of it being he was much older, yes. she was younger, and when someone's haunted, I know, like, they have unfinished business and stuff like that, but she said that he could move on. She didn't say he had to. I just feel like something was set up by George. Well, and the, hey, I need you to, like, put the baby with me. When he said that the baby was with her, like, that yeah. didn't make any sense. Yeah. So the baby is or isn't with her? Because I'm confused. Also, there was another thing where, like, they say that he buried them in unmarked graves. And I'm like, why? Why were they unmarked? To me, if you're, like, doing it in an unmarked grave and you're, like, well off. His family was well off. It wasn't like they had to be in, like, in a, a pauper's field or whatever they called them. His family was well off. I feel like maybe... Something was kind of like foul play there or something. I don't know. Mm, maybe. And he was like, yeah, let me get rid of this one because there's this 15. Well, at that time, it would, she would have been 13. Gross. Gross, and, gross, 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 gross. You know, like that's who I got my eye on. But I can, you know, like, I don't know. I just feel like something with him, like that was weird. Yeah, I agree. And so that's why I don't believe it because these two people had everything to gain From really one person. George is the clear winner here. But if Lydia was game for it at the beginning, you know, I like, I don't know. I just, there was something that they wanted. But then I was like, well, she was like bedridden and on her deathbed. So maybe it was like Nellie wanted her to fulfill, like to be married, to have that love, to do whatever. Like, so I don't know. You see, I can always talk myself into believing stuff. Yeah, I don't buy it. But it's a good story, so. Yeah, sweet little romance, kind of not really gross. I know. Oh, they had been like knowing each other for those two years. So she was 13 when that started happening. Why would he ever need to talk to a 13-year-old who is not his family? There should have been no contact. Yeah, you, you wouldn't. You don't. And so that's why I think it was George who led this and like tricked Lydia into it or... Even just groomed her into it. Yeah, that. Probably that. 
Before we get into my story, we got to talk about BetterHelp because this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We have talked about how we love to just pick up groceries or have them delivered. We are fine not leaving the house, and that's why we love BetterHelp. We don't have to leave the house. It's the convenience of the help that you need without having to spend all the time finding a doctor that takes your insurance, finding out, can I take off work for this, waiting in an office, doing all the things. What happens if you don't jive with that counselor, yada, yada, yada. I mean, also you have to put on a bra. True. But BetterHelp is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I mean, we're talking about mental health here. So if you are a person who gets overwhelmed with having to make all those decisions that Carrie was just talking about, this is a great solution for you because it eliminates that. So what you do is you're going to go to betterhelp.com APC and you're going to fill out a brief questionnaire and it's going to get you matched with a licensed therapist. But the thing is, is that, like I said, what if you don't jive? Well, with BetterHelp, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. And that's a big deal because I know in some practices, they don't allow you to switch therapists every so often or at all. But with BetterHelp, you're able to do that because again, sometimes you just don't jive. But then when you find that licensed therapist that really gets you, it changes everything. Seriously, BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. Whether you need better coping skills, learning how to set boundaries, I'm sure the options are endless with the things that BetterHelp can help with. Because, you know, sometimes we hear therapy and we're thinking, oh, well, I don't have that much trauma. I don't need to unpack that much. No, it can be the simplest thing. Just talking it out with someone who has a license that can understand more than just, you know, a friend lending an ear. It's so impactful on your mental health. So get your phone out and go to betterhelp.com slash APC to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash APC. You make your physical health a priority, make your mental health a priority too. So go to betterhelp.com slash APC for 10% off your first month. While we're on the subject of helping us become the best versions of ourselves, we got to talk about Apostrophe. Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team to get a customized treatment plan for your unique skin. Apostrophe's wheelhouse is acne treatment. Bacne, face acne, body acne, buttony, but they do it all. Because again, it's this expert dermatology team that's crafting the treatment for you. You fill out an online consultation about your skin goals, give your medical history, you take a few selfies. They don't have to be with like glamour shots or anything like that. They want to see your skin in its natural state. And then a board certified dermatologist will create your initial customized treatment plan. And you know how opposite Carrie and I are sometimes. Our skin is the same way. We have a few things that we share, but I'm dealing with dullness on my skin and also some inflammation and the fine lines and wrinkles. We all know that. I deal with rosacea and of course the wrinkles. But with apostrophe, you're going to get access to oral and topical medications. They use clinically proven ingredients to help clear your acne, all the different skin issues. 
We all know that I have had a journey with my skin. I have scars, like dark spots everywhere, but that's something that I'm working with apostrophe on to help fade. I wish y'all could see the selfies that I took to set up my consultation because for some unknown reason, I traveled back to 1992 and did it on the computer and not my phone. (laughs) So it is high quality grainy. (laughs) And MySpace looking, but you know. Hey, got the job done. I got my dermatology back treatment plan and so can you. So you're going to go to apostrophe.com slash creep and use promo code creep to get your first visit for only $5. That's a savings of $15. So again, go to apostrophe.com slash creep. That is A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash creep and then use our code creep at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only five bucks. And then you're going to get all these amazing products in the mail. There's going to be little bottles that you can personalize with stickers. You don't have to go anywhere. That stuff's getting delivered directly to you. So go to apostrophe.com slash creep and use promo code creep to get your first visit for only $5. Okay, picture it. Memorial Day weekend, 1984. We're in central Pennsylvania. Now, this fisherman going out on that Sunday morning when they notice this cardboard box. So, you know, nosy little fisherman is like, what's this cardboard box? Because, you know, if he's anything like my dang father-in-law, it's probably going to be a pot of gold at the end of the freaking rainbow because that man finds shit everywhere. Because he works in timber, he like trapes through the woods and stuff. And like, even just on the side of the road, one day he found like a Yeti cooler on the side of the road, like a nice Yeti cooler with nothing wrong with it. It just fallen out of somebody's truck. What? I'm telling you the luckiest. One time he went to scout timber for something. And this guy, I honestly don't even, this may not be exactly how the story went. But <laughs> oh, God. This guy had a school bus on it. Was I think he got it for free. And this school bus is loaded down with tools. Like I'm talking that school bus was made into like a traveling like carpentry shop. So there's all of these tools. Like anytime we need anything, we're like, let's go look in the school bus because there's all kinds of shit in it. Luckiest man alive. And you know, got me for a dollar. You literally took the words out of my mouth. I hate you. But on this occasion, this fisherman wasn't as lucky. So he goes to look at the cardboard box and he finds a garbage bag inside. Pulls a bit of the garbage bag back and finds a body. It was inside the box or just under it? Inside the box. Because here's the thing. The body was basically just a torso. (gasps) Okay, because... Oh, God. Oh, could you imagine finding that? No. What the police could tell was that it was put in this cardboard box and basically slid down an embankment. And, you know, anytime you're dealing with finding a body like this, all of the little details matter. Like, has the dew settled on the box, like, before or after? Was it, you know, that kind of gives you a timeline of when was the body dumped. The police did notice there was a little bit of a grease stain on the box and there was a puncture mark on the box. And in that grease stain, there was a small little piece of styrofoam. Now I'm going to give you a hint that this was covered on a forensic files. It was on a couple of different shows, but that just kind of gets you an idea of where we're heading with down a rabbit hole. Yeah. How I said, the little things matter. Yeah. Also, all I can think about are those packing peanuts and I hate packing peanuts. I do love um, playing with bubble wrap, though. 
So the police were thinking that whoever was maybe lifting this box out of a trunk or something got it hung on the latch and that's what made that puncture wound. Now, like I told you, the body was just a torso. The head, the arms, and the legs were all gone. Clearly, the killer was really trying to hide who this victim was. Also, the killer was clearly you because you would get the box hung up on a latch. (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You're definitely not wrong. So the police kind of felt like the killer would have needed a good bit of time, maybe even some privacy to be able to get this done. So the police's next step is figure out who it is. Because if you can figure out who it is, that's the only way you're going to figure out who did this. Oh my God. Drink how many times she said figure. (laughs) So they knew that the body had three large moles and a scar on the abdomen. I do not want to be identified by my moles. I mean, I want to be identified, but please don't say there were three large moles on my torso. I mean, I too have moles, but all I can think of is that mole, 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 mole. (laughs) But like, I got moles too. I got to look, I had to get one taken out of my chin because I was very insecure about it because hair would grow out of it. And I remember one time I kissed my nephew Peyton when he was a kid. He said, ouch, because my (laughs) hair poked him. Back then, and even now, if you want to know what Peyton really thinks, ask him, because he will fucking tell you. <laughs> and as a kid, he was like, ouch, what was that? I'm like, mm, my hair. My chin hair out of my mole, gah. <laughs> but that really was a huge source of insecurity for me. Anyway, the body did have jeans on with a belt with a Zodiac belt buckle. So they did, of course, an autopsy, and they found some insect activity on the body. This is when they bring in an entomologist, which basically is a fancy schmancy word for someone who studies bugs. The entomologist was able to find some eggs from blue and black flies because they knew the weather conditions and where the flies were in their stage of growth. They were able to get a pretty good estimate of when the body was dumped and when the person was murdered. They did know it was a woman had some moles on their body, scar on the abdomen. Um, was the scar on her abdomen, was that from like a C-section? I don't know that. I think so. Okay. But I don't know. But through the autopsy, they did find semen present. But again, remember, 1984. We're not running DNA on this semen. But through the autopsy, they didn't really feel like it was a rape. Like, there was no, like, bruising, that kind of thing. But they did determine that they think that she died either late Friday or early Saturday morning. Again, based on the insect activity. And she was found Sunday morning by the fishermen. Correct. So they did their due diligence trying to check all the reports of missing persons, anything like that, and nothing came up. They ended up burying her in a pauper's grave. Oh, whoa. I know, when you said that earlier, I was like... Wow. Man, you do have a poker face because you didn't let on like, oh my God, that's in my story too. But it was a whole seven months after her body was found that she was buried because they were trying so hard to figure out who this Jane Doe was. But a year after she was found, police get a call. This woman tells police that her ex-sister-in-law has been missing and she starts to tell police a little bit about her physical description. But there was one thing that she said that police were like, tell me this again. Well, really two things. 
The ex-sister-in-law says that the woman that is missing, her name is Edna Posey. And she said that Edna was very insecure about her body and she wouldn't wear a bikini because she had some moles. Oh, wow. So exactly what we were talking about before about being like insecure and stuff, Edna was. And so they're like, wait, tell me more. Because they're starting to be like, wait, we have this Jane Doe that we found. You know, could this be that? The caller also said that another thing that stuck out about Edna was that she always wore a belt. And you guessed it, it had a Zodiac buckle. Wow. So the police were like, this has got to be her. Right. Also, is that the person that you always say from The Incredibles? That's Edna Mode. Oh. Although when I typed Edna to uh, research this, it was like mode. Like it went guess, <laughs> Google guessed that. I wanted to be like, I mean, usually that's what I'm looking up, but not in this time, Google. <laughs> you don't know me. Also, can we just say, don't be ashamed of your moles. Wear the bikini. For real. Absolutely. I mean, I just had hair growing out. I had to, it was, it was an issue. And if you are insecure, like there's other things you can do, but like, don't let that hold you back. For sure. So long story short, it was Edna Posey. Now, who is Edna? When she went missing, she was a 31-year-old, and she was the mother to an 11-year-old boy. His name is Randy. Edna had some issues. She had some issues with alcohol abuse, and because, you know, you're like, she's been missing a year, and you're just now calling? Well, like I said, Edna had some issues, and it wasn't uncommon for her to kind of go and come like that and not tell anyone and be gone for months on end, and nobody knew where she was. So Randy, her son, didn't live with her? Well, I'm going to get there. One thing that Edna would do is that like, she would meet a man at a bar, quickly start a relationship, they'd quickly move in together, and then quickly break up. And it was like this ever-revolving door of people in her life. And look, she knew that her home life was not a stable environment for her son. And so Randy was involved in a Boy Scout troop. The Boy Scout leader, well, the whole troop was for boys from backgrounds like Randy with an unstable environment, maybe parents who are in prison, have issues with drug and alcohol abuse, that kind of thing. It was designed to give them a safe place to go where they can be kids and not have to worry about eating and what their family members doing or who's in jail or what the, you know, they just can go and be kids. So Randy had been part of this Boy Scout troop for a little while, and Edna knew she needed to go to rehab. So she asked the troop leader, his name's Donald Ruby, if Donald would take Randy in while she went to rehab and just tried to get her life together. So to answer your question, when she went missing, no, Randy was not living with her. Now, the rumor is, too, that aside from her issues with alcoholism, Edna was also a sex worker. Absolutely no judgment, but that does come with some risk factors that could lead to her harm. So it's definitely something that police have to take into account. Donald Ruby was married. He had a good job. He was a machinist. He was only 42, and he and his wife didn't have any kids. So really, it seemed like a really great opportunity for Randy to get some love, attention, and a stable living environment. I don't know where this is going, but if you tell me something happens to Randy at old Ruby's house, I'm going to be very upset because that means he's preying on children who are there for their safe space. But if that's not where this is going, great guy to volunteer for that. So a couple of sources I saw said that Edna had actually gone into rehab at this point and then moved 
to Virginia, which was about 150 miles away. The articles weren't really consistent on did she just move to Virginia or did she go to rehab and then move there? I'm not really sure, but I really do think that she went to rehab first. But Edna moved to Virginia and she got a job working as a dental tech. There, she was really starting to get her life together. She had a steady income and on the weekend of Memorial Day, she was going back to Pennsylvania so that she could see Randy, which is how her body ended up in Pennsylvania. You know, people really talked about how she was in such a good place in Virginia. Like I said, a steady income, was doing better with alcohol, and she even was dating a guy that was in the army band. Again, more structure to her life instead of people kind of coming and going. She was seeing the same person for a little while. They were even talking about like moving in together and then bringing Randy to them. So when police find out that, okay, this body is Edna, this is her backstory, she was coming back in town to see her son, they of course are going to bring Donald and Randy and everybody in for questioning. Donald tells police that Edna had come to visit Randy on that Friday night and she was supposed to stay the whole weekend. But the next day, he and his wife took Edna downtown to go shopping and they were just going to drop her off and then come back and pick her up. Now again, 1984 before cell phones. So they're like, hey, we're going to pick you back up at about 5 or 5.30. Cool. And she was like, okay. But when they went back to pick her up, she wasn't there. Given her history of just disappearing, they didn't really think much of it. But I'm also like, so where was her clothes? Like, did she have everything with her? There's questions for me. Right. I'm really not liking Donald. And I have no reason to not like him yet. But I feel like I'm going to. When police interviewed Randy, he said that he saw his mom on Friday night. She kissed him goodnight and was like, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. And then not long after that, he heard a loud noise coming from the bedroom where Edna was sleeping. Randy said it sounded like somebody fell out of their bed, but like, was it something more sinister? Right. Randy said he woke up the next day and mom was gone. And based on the entomologist, the bug action lines up with that story. Yeah. So the police do some more digging. And your gut feeling about Donald is, it's right. Oh my gosh. There wasn't proof outright that Donald was a pedophile, but like, there was some weird things. He would kiss the kids, like, on their cheeks or on their lips. Mm. You're an adult man, and these are, what, 10, 11, 12-year-old boys? Like, and you're not their family. Like, which I think it's weird when adults kiss their kids on the lips, like, past a certain age. I think that's weird. But, like, these aren't your kids. Like, these are not your adopted, biological, whatever. These are not your kids. Yeah. The other thing is that when he would bring the kids out of the woods... He would check them for ticks, (gasps) and he would spend a little more time in areas that he shouldn't be spending time in. Oh, my God. Checking for these ticks. No. So the police were like, okay, did he have like a live-in victim now? And now that Edna was doing well and possibly moving in with this boyfriend and going to have this more stable environment and take her son back, did he kill her because he didn't want to lose... I hate to say it, but his live-in victim. Not just lose him, but Randy could tell. Right. 
Okay, you know how Donald said he had taken Edna with his wife to go shopping? Well, when he said he did this, his wife was actually at work. And her time clocks showed that she was at work. Wow. So, like, she didn't take her shopping with him. So, they look at Donald's vehicle. They look in his trunk. And in the trunk, they find that same kind of grease that was on the box that Edna's body was found in. They also find that the hole that was on the box matched the same shape, size of the trunk latch for Donald's car. Oh my God. There was also this kind of waxy red material substance on the box. And that was similar, consistent to the substance that was found in his vehicle. They said they thought maybe it was like from a crayon marking. I only saw that in one place about the um, kind of red waxy thing. And it said that it was probably from a crayon. Unsure about that. But I did see the other things about the box, like the grease and the size shape. I saw that on everything. It was a lot of circumstantial evidence. Again, because it's 1984. They're not running it through the sphygma manometer. That's not what that is. That's for (laughs) blood pressure. But I can't remember what that machine's called, where they literally can just run it through and be like, oh, that's grease from this brand from made only in this and only put in these. Like, it ain't, we don't have that now. So it was a lot of consistent with blah, 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 blah. So it's a lot of circumstantial evidence, but it's a lot. So police arrest Donald Ruby for Edna Posey's murder. As far as his trial, there was testimony about him touching Randy, looking for the ticks, that kind of thing. You know, some of the stuff says there was direct evidence of pedophilia, but I never saw what the direct evidence was. Like, I I never found that anywhere other than there was, he kissed the kids and he, you know, searched for the ticks, but never really anything concrete, like... Yes, he had pictures or he had whatever, you know. But also, I believe Randy. So if he said that that's what happened, I'm going to believe a victim. Donald goes to trial and he is convicted of Edna's murder. He's sentenced to life in prison. But Donald says from the start, he didn't do this. And the whole time, the trial, even his sentencing, he's like, I did not do this. See, because there's a lot of shade to Edna about her, quote, promiscuity and you know, all these things that if she, you know, did have a history as a sex worker, tons, tons of victim blamey ick around Edna. So Donald's lawyers are like petitioning for retrials, yada, yada, yada. They say that there was no proof that Donald was a pedophile and that by the jurors hearing that, it tainted the jury. Yeah. The defense attorneys were like, let's re-examine this evidence with the like entomologists and stuff. Because that was part of it was that it was like, okay, based on this insect activity, she had to have died Friday night, Saturday morning. So her going shopping is moot. Like, that's not true. So another guy, Dr. Neil Haskell, who's supposed to be one of the country's like premier forensic entomologists, as they say. So he goes to look at this again. So when he gets the insect eggs and all of that, it was very dried up because, you know, it's old at this point. After they were rehydrated and all, he could see that they had a little bit of like flesh and blood on them. And so that meant that they had like had three more days to feed before they were analyzed. But I don't know how he knows that versus like, okay, were they just on the body for three days? Like, did they take three days to do the autopsy? You know what I mean? Like, how do you know where the three days came? But anyway, he said that based on his findings, that she actually died Saturday night or early Sunday morning, not Friday. 
like the first guy said. So if that's the case, then it couldn't have been Donald. And because when the fisherman found the body, he said that there wasn't any dew like along the path. So they said that that supported like that it was actually Saturday night, Sunday morning. Yeah. Okay. But I'm also like, okay, so she was killed on Friday and then they needed time to dismember the body. Yeah. And so then she was dumped Saturday, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. They're acting like this is substantial proof, but it's still circumstantial just for a different circumstance. Right. The part that made me go, ooh, was that, remember how I said that they had found sperm on her? They said that the sperm was moving. Now, they say that sperm only will move on a deceased person for 24 hours. Okay, that's just gross. I never knew that. Yeah. So, if she's found Sunday morning, it could be Saturday morning at the earliest that she was killed based on that. Donald had an alibi for Saturday and Saturday night. Because of all of this, Donald was able to take it to trial again. Now, he has been in prison six years at this point. From based on, like, the time she was found, the investigation, yada, yada, yada. Now he's in prison six years. DNA's become a thing. So they did test the semen that was found on Edna, and it did not match Donald Ruby. Oh, shit. Also, they found that the semen was from three different men. So they went back to trial and they really raked Edna through the mud in this trial. You know, I feel like the first time Don, I don't know if he goes by Don, but here we go. But through the first trial, Donald really kind of got raked over the coals with the pedophilia stuff, which if it's true, that's what he deserves. Edna is a fucking victim and she was really attacked in this trial. They really talked about her character and the fact that there was semen from three different men and she had a history as a sex worker and blah, 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 or alcoholism. Like they really attacked her to show that, well, there's all these other people that may want to kill her, not just Donald. And then of course they bring in the new evidence with the new entomologists and they bring Randy back. At this point, Randy's now 21 years old. At this point, no longer remembers hearing that thump. Does he testify against Donald, like saying that he touched him and stuff? I don't know about that in the second trial. I don't know. But this trial lasted nine days and the jurors only deliberated for six hours and they found Donald Ruby not guilty. Oh my gosh. And people are like, what the fuck just happened? I'm still feeling like he's guilty though. Now that he's been found not guilty... Officially, the case is closed. What? We know nothing. That's all we know. There, of course, are people who firmly believe that Donald did it and basically got a retrial and got away with murder. Why is it closed? She she was killed by now. We don't know. Well, because I think the police really believe that Donald did it. Not long after the trial, Donald Ruby left town and even his lawyers don't know where he is. Whoa. Now, I did try to find what happened to Randy, but I can't find anything on him. Well, that's a lot. I found one obituary, but I don't know if that's him. But I did look through like Edna's obituary and like tried to go to her parents that were linked to see if maybe that would be linked to a grandchild and I couldn't find for sure. So I don't know if Randy is still alive or not. But here's some stuff that, like, this is the stuff that just bothers me about this. Because I, too, believe that Donald's guilty. Because, like, his wife was at work when Mm -hmm. they said that they took her to to shopping. Like, that's a lie. And, like, there were a couple other times where his alibi was like, yeah, I was watching TV with my wife. Well, she's already lied for you once. So, uh, fuck that. I don't believe anything that y'all say at this point. Again, the second trial 
really destroyed Edna. You know, my thing too is there was no signs of rape originally. So what if she was working as a sex worker? That would make sense that she had semen from three different men. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I don't know. Like, I feel like, is there ever a situation that the semen could last longer than 24 hours? I don't know. But what if she had done some work as a sex worker? Shit went down. You know, he murdered her because there was some other stuff saying, because there's like a whole Reddit thread on this too, because it's like an unsolved mystery. A couple of really good breakdowns of the case aside from like the forensic files and all that too but you know what I'm picturing with Donald too is I'm picturing that okay so Edna was a sex worker and if she didn't like you know on Pretty Woman when Stucky Uh tries to like get with her and she's like no you know it's just see I don't think that what I think because Donald's a pedophile he doesn't give a shit about her he gives a shit about Randy and he would not rape her because that's not his MO. I really think it was just a stroke of luck that there was she had semen in her mm. and you know what I mean? Because I don't he would not have raped her because that's not his victim. Yeah. His victim is young boys. I know what I was gonna say a second ago, uh, before you said that about the Stucky thing. I saw this on um one of the Reddit threads that there was a cabin that he would take the kids to sometimes that had like a lot of the boxes that were that shape and size and all of that that that's probably where he got the box from but i'm like okay but one where's the rest of her body because that's never been found her Uh head her arms and her legs never been found but like where did he dismember her like did they search those cabins did they search his house like there's so many details we don't know yeah or that i couldn't find because it's like well where's the blood that is kind of a question mark to donald though because where is the blood But, like, they've never ran the DNA through CODIS or anything like that. And I'm like, why? It's just sitting there. Like, why haven't you done that? I did see on one of the Reddit threads, too, though, that it said that Edna's toxicology report came back clean. The way that they painted her in that second trial, too, was, like, she was a sex worker who was on a bender and had, like, met up with some random three dudes and gotten herself killed, basically. Mm -hmm. But, like, she wasn't because her talks report was clean. I agree with the first trial. I agree that while I think that the jury hearing the alleged pedophilia is inflammatory, it's part of this story. Because you have to know that to know why does he want to keep Randy so bad he would kill Edna over it. Right. Because he was abusing him. Yeah. You have to know that piece for the story to make sense. But then they turned around what they had a problem with the first trial. They turned around and did that to fucking Edna. Yeah. And she's the real fucking victim here. Like the real victim. Yeah. I I mean, again, just based on everything, I'm like, no, he he did it. I just want to know, like, again, it's 1984. They don't have all the things. But like, I don't know. Like, was there not something in the wounds? Was there not something in the area in which like Donald had access to that you could find some blood Mm -hmm. or something like that, you know? Yeah. Was the garage freshly cleaned or, you know, what? How? Ugh, I hate this story. Yeah, it's a it's a brutal one. Yes. I thought you were going to follow up with, they found something in like the styrofoam finally, and they put him back in jail or something, you know. Well, they wouldn't be able to anyway because of Double Jeopardy. Oh, true. Yeah. Fuck. Good movie, by the way, though. Yeah. So I don't know if Donald is dead or alive or living his best life on a beach in jamaica we don't know wow i sure hope his wife wasn't covering for his abuse Mm -hmm. to these kids right i mean we don't know what she went through too she could have been having all kinds of abuse against herself too you know but god those poor kids and that's the thing too though you think that if it was happening to more kids more kids would have come out so maybe it was only happening to randy yeah 
But also, we see that a lot, too, I mean, in the movies and stuff, where especially these boys had really hard backgrounds and stuff, Mm -hmm. and they're not going to want to admit to, like... Weakness, weakness, air air quotes. I mean, they're not weak. They're not weak, yeah. But, yeah, that. And, like... Also, well, I don't want to make more trouble for my parents. Well, and there's no telling what an abuser tells them of, you tell our secret, then your parent, you're going to get taken away from your parents or whatever. And they may have a parent in prison or a parent that's a drug addict that they just got them back. Or, you know, you you never know what the situation is and what they've been told by the person who's abusing them. Yeah. This one makes my stomach hurt, but it does kind of crack me up that again, this is circumstantial evidence. And like your last case, I was like, 100% they did it. All circumstantial. Him, all circumstantial. And I'm like, he did it. Other cases, I'm like, no, they didn't do that. Like you can't convict on a circumstantial thing, but like my whole body believes that Donald did this. And like, That's why my stomach hurts because I'm like, I hope he didn't abuse more kids and all of this stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. You should have went first because mine was lighter. Well, we, of course, want to know what y'all think. Was Nellie Butler a real ghost? Was she concocted by George, her, you know, beloved husband? And what do you think about Donald Ruby? We don't usually agree on them, but we agree on this one. Yes. Like both cases we agree on. Well, thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review all the things, and remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.